And we're looking at the um, metaphor of the Christian life as a race. As a race. As somebody who grew up running track, this metaphor communicates to me, and I hope it communicates... Well, for all of us who live in Boston, where the marathon is the event of the year, it should communicate something to us as well. Um, the goal of the race for us as Christians is to finish. It's to finish the race. It's to finish the race well. That's our highest aim and our highest goal. We started this series in Eastertide five weeks ago with the theme of joy. And that's what we've been looking at over the course of this Easter season. Which ends for us on Sundays today as we come next week to the, to the Sunday of Pentecost. And the giving of the Spirit and enter into a new phase of the church calendar. But we, we came looking at the reality that in order for, for us to fulfill this mission that God has given us in Boston, we've got to live the resurrection life. In other words, we have to be alive in such a way that people around us would see that life at work in us and ask the question, what in the world is going on inside of you? What is it that you have? Because there's so many things, so many people vying for everybody's attention in our world. And we said that in order to live that resurrection life, we, we needed to know something of resurrection joy. Something of the joy that is ours as the church is integral and central to being able to live the resurrection life that we've been called to live. So that's why we've been looking at joy together over the last several weeks. And tonight we're going to bring joy and the race together as we look um, at Hebrews 12 and ask, in a sense, what is, how does joy factor into our being able to finish well and our running the race well? Now in this passage, there's a lot of great advice given to the runners of the race in order that they might finish well. First, and I'm just going to briefly run through, I'm going to focus on one thing, but the, the first thing that, that's, that we're said is to be aware of the witnesses. So in Hebrews 11, the author has just gone through this great list of, of what we call the hall of faith, or the men and women who have lived lives of, of deep faith in such a way that their um, circumstances in the world were not always chipper, but they, they walked this road um, with great endurance. And so he says as he comes in to exhort the people to whom he's writing, he says, so therefore with this, this, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses watching us and cheering us on, I want you to run. Now this was hammered home to me when I was watching the marathon in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, which was actually a very hot marathon. They were sweating and, and, and toiling but they run, you know, the 25 miles, it's 26.2 miles, they run 25 miles, and I guess in a sense it's like Boston, when you turn the corner onto Boylston Street. Well, I've never done it, so I shouldn't say when you do. Those of you who have run it, turn the corner onto Boylston Street. But in this case, in, in Beijing, they were running on the dusty, dirty, hot streets of Beijing, and then they, they turn a corner and they come into the Olympic Stadium, and the stadium is just filled with thousands and thousands of people cheering and shouting for them as they run this final mile inside the track. And that's the picture that he gives us here. As you think about running the race, think about the fact that there's this great multitude. And they're not just spectators eating hot dogs and french fries. These are people who have run the race before you and who can testify, bear witness to the fact that God, the one that you're running the race for, is faithful to the end. And they're cheering you on as you run forward. So that's one thing he says. He says also we're supposed to take off Everything that hinders us to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, or the sin that, that, that creates an obstacle. Um, one of the dirty tricks that the senior guides at Noah's Ark, where I used to work in the outdoors, used to play on the junior guides as they came, was they, they would get their packs ready, and then everybody would set their packs up kind of outside the kitchen at the lodge. 
And then the, the, the senior people would go and get gigantic rocks, take everything out of their pack, stuff it down in the bottom, and then put everything back on. And unsuspecting uh, first-year guides would never have any clue that somebody had done this to them. And then they'd chart off up the mountain with a bit of extra, not just a bit, a lot of extra weight, only to discover at dinner the first night as they're unpacking their pack that they've been carrying this great rock all the way up the mountain. That's the picture that we get of sin in this little excerpt from Hebrews 12. That it is like this rock in your backpack and you're trying to hike. A lot of us went hiking yesterday. uh, And you're trying to hike up this peak and you're just carrying this burden. You may think, actually, that this burden is bringing you blessing. In fact, you may think that this is kind of what your little secret, what you really want. But in actuality, it's significantly hampering your ability to run the race and then to finish well. So he says he wants you to throw aside every sin that clings and that creates an obstacle so that you can run freely. And then he says that he wants us to run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That means that we need to pace ourselves, not starting out in a bang and ending up just falling over. Just uh, last week, Chloe's third grade class ran their, they, they went out and the, the gym teacher surprised him. He took him out um, onto the esplanade and said, we're going to run a mile. And so, you know, on your marks, you'd say, go. And, and, and Chloe said, so many of the kids just like took off. And then within about 200 meters, they were just walking and dying in a pile. Now, they didn't have the experience um, uh, that we might in approaching a race. But that's the picture he wants us to avoid is just kind of jumping out of the gate running out of breath and falling flat on our face. Instead, we're to run with endurance the race that's set before us. But verse 2 is really where I want to bring us to a focus tonight. And that is, he says, this is his advice to those of us running the race, to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I want to give you a go to another place, Matthew 14, where, where Peter is in the boat and Jesus is walking out on the water to them. And Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's really you, I want you to command me to come to you. And so Peter, and you know this story, he gets out of the boat and he starts to walk to Jesus. And as he's fixing his eyes on Jesus, he's making progress. But as he begins to notice the wind and the storm and the waves and those things around him, he begins to sink. And in a sense, that's kind of what you, you, you can think of in the author's mind. Uh, who might well have been aware of that story about Peter, saying, I want you to fix your eyes. I want you to set your eyes upon Jesus. And we set our eyes upon him in two primary ways, I want to suggest to you. One is as an example. And the second one is as a ruling Lord. And that will connect to Ascension Day, which we've just celebrated this past Thursday. Um, But in the first case, as an example, Jesus' life was not easy. His race was not uh, a simple race. It was a race that had great toil and tribulation. It was full of shame and public humiliation. It was hard and it ended obviously on a Roman cross, an instrument of shame. This was not just death by electric chair in some closed cell, but this was death by public humiliation and torture in front of everybody that you ever knew who wanted to be there. Let me just stop here and say that, to note that, that we've been talking about joy for five weeks. Um, But it's clear, obviously, from Jesus' own example and from our own experience that to know joy as a a follower of Christ does not mean that your life is going to be easy. And I think sometimes we get into a kind of muddled state of mind where we think that, you know, this just means my life's going to make sense, it's all going to fall together. And when we run into those places where things aren't making sense or things are quite difficult, uh, we start to throw up our hands and and kind of protest. And I just want to make the point, obviously, that that Jesus' own example suggests that, that life being challenging, the race being hard, is not inconsistent with actually knowing true joy and being right in the heart 
of God and in the middle of his will. But Jesus endures the hardship. The question is why? And that's what draws us to joy. Verse 2, he says, The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, despising the shame of the cross. Back to track and field for a moment. I think for those of us who are inclined to running shorter distances, which is the category that I fall into, which is why I haven't run the Boston Marathon, um, the 400-meter race is one of the hardest in track and field, or in, in, in track. It's a grueling all-out sprint. Many of you, I'm sure, have run a 400 that seems like it's about 200 meters too long. Um, I ran the 4 by 400 relay in high school, and um, to this day, I can remember quite vividly the sinking feeling in my stomach before the gun went off and I had to start the race, because I knew it was going to be painfully hard. And the only thing that would get me through that race was actually having a vision of, act- of crossing the finish line, of getting to the end. And so, you know, as your legs are giving way, as your arms are giving way, as your lungs are giving way, it's this that kind of keeps you in the race, this vision of what's coming at the end. And it's this vision of, that Jesus has of the joy that is set before him that, in- that enables him, it, that the, the author of Hebrews says, to endure the difficulty of the moment that he's in, of the race that God had set before him to run. This was the joy of actually doing the Father's will, and in a sense connects to what we looked at in John 15 last week. But this was the joy of, of seeing the Father's saving purposes come to fruition through him, of bringing many sons to glory, as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 2. Jesus knew that the race that God had set before him was a race that included the cross, the challenge of the cross. This is where, precisely where, the Father's will was taking him. And he knew that that would be painful and that road would be trying. But he presses through that. He endures that because of this vision of the joy that's set before him, of the fullness of joy that comes from being right in the heart of the Father's will and seeing the Father's purposes come about through us and through him. So what does this mean, real quick? It means that there there is absolutely no greater joy than the joy of walking in step with the God who made you. The joy of walking in step with what he has put before you. It's interesting that the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, as if there is someone who's setting the race before us. And there is somebody who set the race before you and before me. And this is the joy of walking in step with his will that comes as we lead, as we looked at last week, a life of sacrificial love in this world, as we endure the cross of self-emptying for the sake of others. And, And what this means is that pursuing anything else outside of God dooms us to less joy. Meaning if there's a route to joy that you see that's a, that's a little bit clearer cut, that's a little less painful, that when we step out and jump into that route, then we're led to a place of diminished and less joy. They lead not to joy, but to despair. So there is this joy of running this race that the Father has set before us. But there's also a very future-looking sense of this joy that was set before Jesus. A sense that this joy is something that comes most of all at the end of the race. It would be hard to say to the audience that that, uh, this author is writing to in Hebrews, hey, this is it, you've got the fullness of joy now. When they're suffering, when when their safety and security is threatened day by day. 
Surely they did know joy in some way, just as Jesus knew joy even in the bitterness of the cross. But there was a joy that was to come. There was a joy that they were anticipating, a joy in a sense that was the, that, that was the, the thing from which all other joy is derivative. And it's the joy of the end, the joy of the, the completed race, the joy of having crossed the line, exhausted, spent, collapsing into the Father's arms and hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. There's that joy that is awaiting those who are running the race. It's that joy that the cloud of witnesses knows right now and is rejoicing in as they cheer us on in the race that we're running. And it's that joy that drives people forward. So there's not a, there's a sense in which we're waiting for that to finally come. This is an example of that. There was a martyr, a Vietnamese martyr who died in 1857. He was in a prison and he said the prison here is a true image of everlasting hell to cruel tortures of every kind. Shackles, irons, chains, manacles are added to to those things are added hatred, vengeance, calumnies, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, as well as anguish and grief. But the God who once freed the three children from the fiery furnace is with me always. He has delivered me from these tribulations and made them sweet for his mercy is forever. In the midst of these torments, which usually terrify others, I am, by the grace of God, full of joy and gladness, because I am not alone. Christ is with me. Like this Vietnamese martyr, there's no doubt that the people to whom this letter is written, the Hebrew, the letter of Hebrews, knew joy in some real way. We're told in chapter 10 that they accepted the plundering of their possessions joyfully because they knew that they had a better possession. But there's also a very true sense in which there is a joy to come that all joy that they have experienced up to this point has not yet matched. I referenced already to the parable of the talents, but in Matthew 25, when Jesus tells this parable about the ones who run the race well, another way of saying they got the five talents and made five more, they got the two talents and made two more, he says that they will be, it will be said to them, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You ran the race well. Now enter into the joy of your master. That joy in the end will be like no other joy. And it will be a joy of the fullness of fellowship with the Father and the saints that have gone before us and the joy of the satisfaction of looking back at a race that was run well, at a race that was run in the difficulties and the trials of life. The joy of the Father's good pleasure in full, not in any way diminished. And it's that future joy in all of its fullness that sustains Jesus in enduring the cross, that sustains you and sustains me in a life of costly and trying obedience. And if it marks Jesus, then surely it can mark his followers as well. That's the reason that it's mentioned here in Hebrews. Can we have joy today? Yes. Hopefully you've been listening over the last five weeks. Yes, we can. We can have true joy. In fact, we are, we are alive in joy now. Why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because, in fact, the war is over. God has won the victory. The enemies have been defeated. Yes, we can have joy. But for us, as for all those who have gone before us, There is a joy that we will only know when we know it in full, in the fullness of the presence of God at the end of the race. And it's the vision of that joy 
that is to be sustaining us as it sustained our Savior Jesus in the race that was set before Him. With that joy set before us, we should let that drive our our moving, our giving, our loving, our following. We should let that joy drive us to walk in obedience to the Father's will in our sexual life, in our financial life, in our thought life, in every other kind of sphere of life that we live today. We should let the vision of that joy be the thing that sustains us to the finish line, that gets us around bend three and turn four as we're running out of breath and getting to the end. This joy that says it's all worth it, even if the world looks upon you and says you're foolish, you've missed the point, you've you've missed the boat, you're on the wrong track, you're going the wrong way. Missing all the parties and all the prizes that the world has to offer. This joy of the end is the joy that drives us as the people of God to running the race and to finishing the race well. Let me say briefly, just in closing, in connection with the Ascension Day, and this connects to joy as well, and on Thursday we celebrated the Ascension of Jesus as Lord, and it's here in this text, in the end of verse 2, it says that Jesus despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So not only do we look to Jesus as the example and the one whose joy set before him led him to endure these things and to run the race and to finish the race well, but we look to Jesus also as the ruling and reigning Lord over all things, who even while we're being cheered on by the great cloud of witnesses, is sitting above all things, ruling and reigning over all of creation so that whatever it is that you face, whatever it is that you encounter, whatever cross God puts in your path and asks you to bear, You know that nothing can get in the way of you and your Lord. That nothing can defeat you. That nothing can overtake you. That nothing is too strong for the one that you are running for and with. Because he reigns and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Nothing happens outside of his knowing. Nothing happens outside of his control. Nothing can separate you from his love. And that is a great source of joy for us even as we look to the fullness of joy in the end. Jesus' presence of glorification with the Father is our future, certain and secure. His reward is going to be our reward right alongside of Him. He will share His ascended glory with those who rise with Him in the last day. And that, again, is what the great cloud knows all too well as they cheer us on to run this race and to run it with a taste for joy, a taste, a foretaste of the ultimate joy of the wedding feast that is to come, this wonderful banquet of celebration and life with our Heavenly Father. So press on, eyes fixed on Jesus for the joy set before us. Amen.